Thank you for joining Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com, and you have entered Macro to Micro Power Hour. I am very grateful that I was able to get a colleague of mine, Michael Libowitz, uh, who have I've known for a few years now. Let me just bring him in. He was really awesome to, um, first of all, come in kind of on short notice, so thank you also for attending. And also, he's been a supporter for a few years when I actually kind of first opened up shop. So we've kept in touch in regards to the macro um, backdrop and how it affects portfolios and such. So let me just go find him and bring him in. Hello, hello. All right, let's get you in here. Raise your hand if you're here already, my friend, so I can promote you to panelist. And hopefully you got the link. We did this a little bit end of month. It's been crazy with the markets for sure. Let me just make sure he's in. He's got the right one. We'll get there. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Raise your hand when you're in the room. Ah, it's having some issues with it. Forgive, forgive. Little delay here on this start. Sorry about that. Ha. Huh. All right, he's coming in now, running back from a doctor's appointment. <laughs> There you are, okay. Promote to panelist. Gotcha. All right, Michael. There we are. So sorry about that. He's coming in. All right, so a little late here in getting this started. I, I apologize. There you are. Hi, Michael. How are you? Happy Thursday. Thank you. I wish I could blame being late on a doctor. It's more my technical ineptitude. No, it's also <laughs> the, the whole link thing didn't get to you in time, but here you are. So that's all that matters. And we can, we can talk shop. I was just introducing you a little bit as um, a colleague actually who came and supported me early years ago um, when I kind of opened up shop. You were just, I don't know, very encouraging uh, for me to write and share resources, um, share opinions, share trading ideas. It has been fabulous knowing you. So this is an honor really to yeah. kind of meet you face to face, bring you into this little soiree, which is an impromptu talk um, about the markets. And I have my running Tuesday with Jonathan Gibbons of VigTech IO, where we definitely talk about market structure. Um, and then of course, compare notes, uh, his approach to the markets versus mine. And then I like to bring in a guest captain on Thursday to get their view. Uh, right now, the dollar is uh, kind of front and center right now for me. And you just published an article on this um, for RIA advisors. So why don't you give a little, uh, background about uh, you know who you are, what you do, and I want to apologize in advance, not just for you know being late here, my fault, totally. But if you hear some racket in the background, the furnace guys just showed up. So my furnace failed this winter. We were just talking about how we've been in our respective houses. Myself, twenty-one years. You, right. five years. Well, it gave it gave way this um, this winter, and I just wanted to have it done before the you know the new season. But didn't know they'd be showing up exactly when I was hitting stop start. <laughs> That's usually how it works. And I see 100%. your furnace and I raise you the potential for a barking dog. Okay, so. good. All right. So I got my I got my barking vents and you got your barking dog. Shoot, tell us a little bit for those who don't know your background. Yeah, so it's actually interesting. We met, what do you think, four or five, four years ago? Something yeah. like that. And we were both kind of starting off in this uh, advisory business, helping 
helping people understand markets, helping them trade better, something different than Wall Street was offering. And we went back and forth a lot. And I think we encouraged each other a lot. Um, and I was doing at the time, a lot of consulting to RIAs, helping them manage money, portfolio management, because I had just run one and sold my firm. And I wanted to be more on the kind of advising advisor side of it. And uh, make a long story short, I met Lance Roberts, who uh, is with uh, RIA Advisors and Real Investment Advice, which is where we publish a lot of articles. And since then, I've joined with them and we manage money over there. And on Real Investment Advice, we're publishing articles all the time, a lot of our original content. So you can see everything we do there. Uh, that's not me or uh, Lance, but if you scroll down, you can see the blogs. Um, You're in here, yes? Yeah, and if you scroll down, you can see my latest article. It's the scary looking one, the death of the dollar. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, we write, we actually do a lot of, uh, a lot of macro, a lot of what we publish tends to be a little more macro, some technical, and we try to explain things a little differently than most. So this is my latest article. I put out an article every Wednesday, willful blindness, societal rift and the death of the dollar. I know that wow. sounds scary. Sounds scary. It, it, the picture's scary. The graphic, Lance makes my graphics. So he i'm not thrilled with this one but but it'll still get picked up by zero hedge they yeah they will <laughs> and and it, others too yes so yeah there was this quote and i'd lead off with a quote that really concerned me and i've tried to write about this topic a few times and david brooks from the new york times wrote an article very politically charged about yeah we should be doing a lot more stimulus and regardless of what your politics are, whether you think he's right or wrong, doesn't really matter because in this one paragraph, what he essentially says is we can print all the money we want. There's not going to be inflation. We haven't seen it yet. There's no cost. The restraints, as he says, so the restraints have been cast aside. That to me was incredibly dangerous thinking because what he's saying is there's no cost. And at first, I, I think that's the way most people think about it. There's no cost, right? There's what are we, what's all this free money costing us? There's no inflation and there's, it's not costing us money. It's, you know, we don't have to raise taxes. There's no cost. That's great. But that's not the, that's not the fact. The fact of the matter is that in order to raise this amount of debt, we need the Federal Reserve to be incredibly active. And that's where things become problematic. Because when the Federal Reserve is active, what are they trying to do? They're trying to boost inflation, right? Mm -hmm. and, and who does inflation hurt and help? Inflation helps the wealthy. They don't spend that much of their wealth on stuff like the rest of us, right? Very, Bill Gates, it's the amount of spending is minute compared to his wealth. The rest of that wealth, he can invest, he can leverage at uber low rates, and he can take advantage of the rising stock market. So inflation tends to help the wealthy. The poor people that are living paycheck to paycheck get slaughtered. You get paid every two weeks, you're gonna go through that money in two weeks. It doesn't seem like a lot, but inflation is slowly eating into your paycheck. And so the cost is societal rift. I think this widening wealth gap, and we've seen this for the last 40 years, coincides with the Fed becoming more and more aggressive and moving interest rates away from where the free market says they should be. And that's the cost. So yes, we're not getting taxed more. The cost is actually in something even probably worse than as if it was just a tax. It's this more invisible tax of inflation and the way it's hitting our society. And you know, frankly, when I go back and you look at some of the events that happened last year with the riots, I, they were they were charged by, you know, obviously some of the police actions and other things going on. But I think underneath it lies also an economic problem. And they send, you know, a lot of people protesting sense those economic problems. They don't have the words or the knowledge to fully articulate what's going on. They know they're being left behind. And I think that is a driving force behind a lot of what we're seeing on the political front as well. So when David Brooks says there's no cost, 
first of all, I would argue is there will be a much more observable cost in the future as well if the Fed keeps doing what they're doing. But there's a dear cost that we're already paying. So this great equalizer of inflation, you don't find it to be a beautiful tax as some claim because it is you know, equalizing, if you will. Everyone suffers from inflation. Right now we have asset inflation, no question, right? right. And we have break-evens that are rising with the market, right. um, but those are expectations. And I still see lots of you know, my intermarket analysis that is still saying we can still see you know, this value rotation, which of course, a lot of commodities and cyclicals, things over paper, um, because also they're running hotter on inflation expectations. And the Fed is not talking this down because the alternative is deflation. So the right. path of least resistance is inflation perceived or real. But, you know, it, it, your dollar talk uh, um, post is about the death of the dollar. So right now we have um, a backdrop of, you know, right now, anyway, it's a counter trend rally by, you know, many uh, accounts. So we definitely have a firm and rising dollar. I contend it's one of the last hedges. How long it's going to be rising is the other question. Right. Um, if they were to, you know, let the short end of the curve rise, that would help accelerate the dollar. Um, and of course, relative to its peers, the, the Wuhan and, and the Euro, it's definitely stronger of late. Right. But your, your thesis, of course, is this is just short term. It's going to get walloped like whack-a-mole and head back down. Yes correct? and no. No, yes and no. I, I look, the dollar is the world's currency and there's a shortage of dollars. There's a massive amount of debt out there that all has to be paid back in dollars and there aren't enough dollars to pay it back. So I think the dollar will be strong, but I think what we're also seeing at the same time is the rise of Bitcoin, these NFTs, which I don't even understand, where people are paying 60 million bucks for a digital picture that I can have the same digital picture on my computer. There, you know, people are buying property in like out here, I'm out on the East Coast, they're going out to rural West Virginia and buying property. That's, there's not, there's no lake, there's nothing special about the property. I think some people are concerned that their money is slowly becoming worthless, right? So, but it doesn't mean the dollar becomes worthless. It just means it's becoming less worth less but so is the euro, the yen, yeah. the yuan, everything. And, and else. we can relevant. see that. We can see that over decades, no question. But the, the, I mean, right now for Bitcoin anyway, for me, it's more of a commodity. So even, um, you know, the fact that recently we haven't had any hedges, you know, to protect from any, any drawdown in markets. Um, the dollar is obviously firming up for mm -hmm. one reason. It is a great hedge. Um, go to cash. The other is, of course, Bitcoin has had this speculation. Maybe NFT is the new SPAC. I mean, there's always going to, and SPACs are actually a, a, a different asset class. But my point right. is, as an asset class, Bitcoin is acting, was acting as a hedge against debasement. And now I, I wonder, how far are they going to take that? Because you don't want to risk that on your worst enemy. <laughs> just, right, right. You can't devalue the dollar into prosperity. So right. it's, it, it's got to be balanced. Um, but I understand you know, the Bitcoin rally call, but I also don't, I don't, um, I, I don't drink the, the strong Kool-Aid that it cannot have, um, you know, regulation and, and in itself, just that whole speculation of they lose, they leave, they, they go on to something else. Right. I have a few problems with Bitcoin. One is that I don't have any clue how to value it. That's always the, the baseline argument. Yeah, I can value just about anything else in the world. I can't value Bitcoin. But we're obviously not going to be able to defend. Neither of us are going to come to the to the support of the bulls, right? The the hodling bulls. Right. And I, I I get that, and I just don't know. I mean, here's really comes down to I just don't know. But I don't think the dollar is going to go away. <laughs> so, no, no, it can't go away. Right. And I mean, seventy percent of transactions are in U.S. dollars worldwide, so it's not going away. But right. To and your point, I was going to say, if you think that Bitcoin will slowly take over the dollar, the problem with that theory is that the U.S. government and all those politicians have a different opinion on who's going to have power over the nation's currency. Yeah. So that's that that kind of that's my deeper problem with Bitcoin is that if it actually does become more popular, 
it kills itself because the powers that be will not allow a competing currency. But we can't, but at the same time, those in the Bitcoin world are not, and crypto world are not really, um, they can't trade the what if that may happen a decade into of the course. future. I mean, right. Ray Dalio even came out yesterday and said, Bitcoin will be regulated like gold was, you know, so, so many years ago, mm -hmm. right? So, but that's when. <laughs> they can't right. even get it together to do basic legislation. Right, right. Yeah, so. But, but for the most part, I'm agnostic on Bitcoin. I like watching it, it's funny. I don't own any, but it's certainly entertaining. And my Twitter feed, whether I like it or not, gets filled with Bitcoin people. And a lot of those hands and the diamonds and, you know, yeah, but I'm it's also the It's also a really large holding of ARC, the Kathy Wood, you know, ETF, mm -hmm. which right. has weighting of Tesla. Um, and I actually just retweeted a chart that shows an overlay of Tesla and ARC, and they are a tight fractal, right? So that whole argument of she owns a whole bunch of, or she say the ETF owns a whole bunch of Tesla and GBTC, which is the grayscale um, right. gray Bitcoin trust. That's just heavy concentration. So they all fall together. I mean, that is just but, like the millennial trade right there, ARC, Tesla, right. and Bitcoin. Right, it's risk. They, it, it's this risk on trade is being, it's everything she owns becomes part of that in vogue trade. Right. And it's it's not necessarily everything she owns, but she's a part of that grouping of assets that's in vogue and that's that everyone vogue. wants to own and, and not own at times. We've seen that in the last week or so. Yeah. And, and how to manage the risk when it has such strong um, correlation and also concentration. I think that's the the biggest argument, not that she hasn't built something of of you know, respect and size. I mean, it's second only to Vanguard. I mean, well done. And she's a woman in this space. So I can't help but, you know, cheerlead. At the same time, how is risk managed? Especially if the dollar does rise higher and yields with it. Mm -hmm. Well, yields, a tech wrecking ball. Right. I think yields are the huge problem. You know, it, yields cannot rise much higher. That's the problem. So that's I think that's how we got started a day or two ago and why I'm on the call with you, because someone made a I don't remember. There were a few people in this conversation and um, oh, someone right. made the what? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Someone made a comment that technically yields can go to two and a half, three percent. Assume we were talking about the 10 year yield. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's at like 160 ish. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, technically, you may be 100 percent correct. But unfortunately, the Fed owns the treasury market. They are the largest holder. They control the market to some degree, not 100%, but they have a big influence on the market. So, you know, you're always talking about macro technical and that intersection. And this is a great example because technicals are not going to be allowed to run the way they normally would in a completely free market. Technicals work great the freer the market. The more locked down a market is by a government, technicals won't work. You and know, yet I can I see that for example, the credit ETFs. I hate charting, you know, HYG, JNK, BKLN, LQD, the, you know, the, the popular corporate um, credit and high yield grade ETF. But charting TLT is a piece of cake. I mean, this has been from peak to trough a fabulous short yes. and the biggest drawdown ever. And it's, it, it's so technical and it's still not done. Right. Oh, no, 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 it's still not done. So to me, that's just a bond bubble. Just like there might be a Bitcoin bubble or an NFT bubble someday, or there right. was a SPAC bubble and that just collapsed, you know, 35, right. 40%, an ARC bubble. To me, it's just totally tradable on a technical basis. I think so, but here's the problem. Let me, I'm going to share a graph with you if I can pull this off. Please. Oh, I got to make you um, able to, I think. Right. Should I hit share screen? I'll... Go ahead. Okay. Can you see my screen? So far, you have okay. started to share, but nothing so, has popped up yet. There it is. When... Got it. Can you see it? Yep. Okay. So, sorry for my Microsoft problem down low, uh, if you can see that. This is, it may be hard to see. This is a graph of a uh, 10-year 10 10 year yields going back 200, 
goes back to the late 1700s. We are at a level that we've never seen before, right? Yep. We're not even going up this latest incline in rates. We're not even up to the lowest troughs that we've seen in 200 plus years. And you're starting to see the market freaking out. So, you, so there's an interest rate problem in this country when interest rates aren't even able to go up high enough to reach the lows of the last, you know, since the 1700s. So I was kind of thinking about this conversation about how to articulate this. And this is a graph of 10-year yields going back since 1977, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen this graph a lot. It's a very, it's a, it's a great technical trade, right? It's a perfect channel. Yep. But what you notice is at all these peak levels, there's some sort of event or crisis. True, true. All of them. And that's because we've become more and more dependent on debt. So as interest rates 100%. rise, it we can't continue to run an economy based on debt. So economic growth and activity slips. So I, what I saw was a lot of people doing technical analysis, like they'd look at the late 90s and rates rose from two to three and a half, say they rose one and a half percent, they rose 2% here, they rose two and a half percent here. I kept seeing people say, well, they can go two and a half percent because that's what they typically went in the past before something broke. Yep. So that's that's sounds great, right? But look how much rates rose in the late 70s, right? They rose from six, seven percent to 16 percent. And it took a long time for something to break. And the reason was there wasn't a lot of debt. So what I wanted to factor in was not just the change in rates, but putting that together with how much debt there is as a percentage of GDP, because that's what matters. Let's go back a little bit, though, though, during that very high interest rate period of time, there were some other contributing factors. I mean, oil was sky high. We what? had all of that geopolitical conflict and it was we were dependent. Right. So, I mean, there was clear inflation <laughs> right. and, um, you know, all the attempts to to break its back, if you will, were really uh, aggressive and it right. did. We've obviously accumulated nothing but debt since then. And even this latest round of stimulus printed 25 percent of GDP just to try and get this 4% of, you know, growth that they're expecting, which is right. crazy, diminishing, right. you know, returns. Right. But you, but, so your, your argument, I get it, big picture is it's gonna be lower for longer. Fed can talk up inflation, um, but at some point, you know, we're, we're not trading on a 10 year time frame. at least you know, no, no, different. But, but let me show, so these red lines here, mm -hmm. What they are is what I call a proxy interest expense. So it's how much debt is there and how much have rates changed over the last year. And what you'll see is that when that proxy interest expense changes by about 4% over the last 20 years, this ah. is when you've had your dot-com bubble, your housing yep. prices, the energy market collapse. Mm -hmm. um, some of the turmoil we saw in 19 when the Fed started doing QE out of the blue. The repo, yep, and then the yeah, the COVID. repo madness. Uh, yep. So, so my point is that the economy cannot handle rates going back up to two percent to three percent, and that the Fed, it whether it's the Fed or not, some the Fed will step in or the stock market will step in and say enough's enough. What happens when mortgage rates get over to four, four and a half percent? It's gonna. Well, it will cool the housing market down. Right, <laughs> right, but but that will cool the economy down. Right. And we're not allowed to have recessions anymore. Didn't the Fed outlaw recessions? Well, because they bring in volatility and then volatility, as Jonathan said so succinctly on Tuesday, will reprice pensions and Fed can't afford that. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I wrote a few weeks ago about Operation Twist, right, because that's what's going to come. I think that's the next move. But when at what rate? Because I think that's what the market's really trying to front, not front run, but take advantage of every penny in front of the steamroller. <laughs> exactly. And this shows you what the steamroller looks like. So this is the uh, twos, tens curve. Yep. And I'm sorry, I have S&P down here. It should be the twos, tens curve in orange. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the arrow, so this is when Operation Twist was rumored, July, August of 2011. Mm -hmm. And you can see it dropped 100, the twos tens curve dropped 124 basis points. Mm -hmm. The market front ran the whole thing. 
it only dropped 22 basis points while they were doing a twist, but, uh, uh, you know, and 124 during the whole time period. So that's why the market's trying to front run it because all the juice is in the front where you can buy those bonds and then sell it to the Fed, right? That's the name of the game to be in front of the Fed. And so what I did in this article was say, okay, how did every other asset do? And what I found fascinating is that, or I, how did other assets do? And I honed in on stocks. And this is what I found fascinating. It kind of surprised me. I went and I did an analysis that looked like this for everything. I don't have it up on my screen, okay. but mm -hmm. stocks did well during Operation Twist. But what was interesting is when we start at this point in July from rumor until the end of the twist, the correlation between TLT and every equity sector was, I have my picture thing in front, so I can't see it, That's right. but you can see the S&P, Dow, Russell, and then all the different sectors yep. was very, was strongly negative, meaning that as TLT was rising, those stocks were falling. And when TLT was falling, those were rising. And I was thinking to myself, that's kind of weird because yields came down and stock prices did better. So overall, TLT should have done better and uh, stock prices, but they actually kind of mirrored each other. When you look at the graph of them, they were, when stocks were going up, TLT was going down and vice versa. So, you know, I think as investors, we really have to think about Operation Twist. And I think the message was you want to own bonds from when they send out that first rumor, you know, and the Fed's really good about this, about putting out those flags um, until the day they start. When they start, that's when you should start shifting back towards stocks. Um, that was- So that buy, was the, of, buy the rumor, no, sell the rumor, buy the news. Buy bonds on a rumor, buy bonds on the, on the, the news, right. Uh, just kind of a, as an aside here, did you, I don't know if you noticed, but a, was it yesterday? Powell, Janet Yellen, and uh, Leo Brainerd all said that asset prices were historically high. Yep. I've never heard one of them say anything about that in the last year. And then in one day, three come out and say the same thing. It's interesting because at the time where yields were actually spiking very strongly, um, they also had, you know, the parade of Fed heads, uh, Bullard and a few others on that day. And they were like, it's actually working to plan. It's according to the Fed, you know, framework. Um, like they were okay letting this perceived inflation with the yield rise move the way it was, even though the market was starting to price that in and, and trying to figure out where they were comfortable, right? right? And surveys came out, they're okay with it up to 2% for the 10 year, right? It hit at 1.76, whatever. So this is, um, however, the solution, quote unquote, Operation Twist, when rates get higher than the market is comfortable. Do you have a feel for where that line is? For example, some say three, some say two and a half. Um, I don't think two is it. Two is already priced in as the market is okay with that. Like we, we, can, we can take some froth out just not more than two. <laughs> well, I think the Fed. I think the Fed does like higher rates to some degree because I don't think they're sold as much as they act confident that they control inflation and it's all transitory. Mm -hmm. I think they also have to be a little worried there is some real inflation and it's not just transitory due to supply lines and pent up demand, right? So higher interest rates will help control inflation a little bit. I think more importantly, it allows them. It allows them to keep their foot on the pedal. They don't have to back down with QT. They don't have to think about yep. thinking about raising interest rates, like yep. they like to say. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're comfortable, but the word they keep saying is orderly or disorderly, right? That's, I think, where we have to pay attention. They don't want disorderly rise in rates. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, whether the, that rate is as low as 175 or two and a quarter, I don't know. I think a lot of it depends on how we get there. If we get to 2% in two days or two and a quarter in two weeks, Fed's got big problems with that. Oh, it's definitely the rate of change. And this is one chart that I keep put, putting out there. The rate of change in the five-year and the 10-year and the 20-year have never, ever happened this fast. And in fact, that was something 
not only did I, I've warned it, you know, as far as with clients and also, you know, tweeted, this is a big deal. We've never had this increase in the rate of change, but even, um, um, Bernard said the same thing, uh, in regards to the, it was the rate of change that had her worried. Yeah. And so here's the question, Samantha, if you're going to lend money to the government or to anyone else, and you're not a trader, right? You're just lending money. Mm -hmm. And you're you're pretty sure the inflation rate is going to be two and a half percent for the next 10 years. What rate do you lend money to the government at, assuming no credit risk, right? That number has got to be north of two and a half. Otherwise, you're losing money, right? So if we can all agree that inflation for the next 10 years will be somewhere between two and greater, 10-year yields have to be above that level, right? So the market is, this is... This is the Fed manipulation part of it. Rates should not be where they are. No, no profitable investor would ever lend money knowing they're going to lose money. This happened, I, I'm trying to reference um, the, a 3.2% CPI. This is my other thing, by the way. I think we're going to have higher CPI prints. The PMIs are really strong here yeah. and in Europe. Um, this just looks and feels still like we have more spikes for inflation coming, steeper yield curve coming. Um, I know you're saying they're not going to get, your, your feeling is they can't get too high, but I would still like to have a, you know, a, some, some targets in place. So let me just show you a chart that I did for clients back in December. Let me just take it over real quick. Okay. So your two and 10, this is a messy version using stock charts, but the point is back in December, this, this two-year yield curve was obviously kind of fully, we had this little negative print for a nanosecond, a New York mm -hmm. minute. Um, it very much technically was heading higher. We obviously blew through that and then spiked up, right? That was the really big surprise when it went up to 1.6. And here we are kind of digesting. But this is pre-COVID, back to two. And this is 3.2% back in October 2018, where the whole kit and caboodle just fell, started falling apart, right? right? Even before COVID. But we're right here. Like, I, th it's, it's right. strong. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But here's the, this goes back to the macro. I think the economy starts falling apart much quicker than it did back then, because there's another, how much get, just the government has put on what, 6 trillion, 5 trillion of debt. Then you add another, another decent amount for corporations that now all have to be serviced. And we are going to have a slower economy. That's just a fact because of all this debt that's unproductive. So- Well, there are arguments about that. I mean, these six, seven, eight percent GDP prints that are getting oh, revised. We're gonna have that. We're, we're gonna, gonna have, have that, but annualized. Yeah, yeah. annualized, let me, uh, where did okay, I- Okay, you can share it again. I didn't no, take I it know. away. Oh, I did, okay, <laughs> hold on, let me share. I just I want to show you that yield curve going, look, we're not even at pre-COVID yet. Well, that's where I think we're going. I really, really think we're going pre-COVID. So here's, this is, I quoted Powell, something about that, that we always emerge stronger from a crisis afterwards. Well, that's completely false. So what I did with this graph was I took the, the four expansions and I said, what if at the bottom of the recession, we had grown at the same rate as the prior expansion? And that's what these lines show you. And you can see by the legend what those growth rates were. And you can see that each expansion is weaker than the prior expansion. Yeah. And that's a function of debt that's not being used productively towards investment. Right. So we're going to come out of this. You know, there's going to be great growth. I don't disagree with you at all. We're going to see six, seven, eight percent for a few quarters. We're going to see yep. some strong inflation. Absolutely. But when we settle down, our growth rate is going to be less than what it was. And, and there's a, go ahead. Sorry, I want to. No, I'm just saying if you're looking at a 10, 20, 30 year bond, a good chunk of those years are going to be at a much slower growth rate with more deflationary pressures. For if you know, if you can just set aside this first year, first nine months, whatever it may be. And, you know, bond investors, they say, are smarter than equity investors. So they're looking ahead. And they're thinking about this and you're seeing it, right? The 30-year the inflation rate is not going up nearly as quickly as the shorter-term inflation rates because they believe it's transitory. 
So, but but they're still wicked strong for a technical term. And CPI yeah. is still going to run hot, higher and hotter the next few months. We just, we know that, right? Well, Gasoline. And the year over year is going to look crazy strong because you're now comparing it to March to when we were locked down and scared for our lives. Yeah, but even housing, you can't do that, right? Because there was such disruption. It will balance out and it's obviously going to stay strong for some reasons of low rates and millennials and- And no I houses say, for sale. Uh-huh. And no houses, yes, low, low, low inventory. Um, so, but on this twist thesis that happened, I mean, when I'm looking back to CPI was about 3.9% in 2011. Okay, and the Fed didn't hike rates until the end of 2015. So mm -hmm. this can run hotter here. They're saying they're not going to hike. They're not going to hike. So we can definitely have this, um, you know, move. But the the twist does what? I mean, it, it put it into kind of terms of okay, it's it's bearish equities, but why? It's a, a liquidity issue. Um, playing with the front end makes the dollar go up. Like, what are now the risks? So when we start to hear the intonation um, from the Fed, you know, we're talking about twist, we're not doing anything, or calendar, or you know, whatever. What is the the reaction in your experience, you know, in your in your research to equities in general? But then specifically, what about the dollar? So if they go to the twist, it means there's something wrong. I think they're going to try to avoid the twist as much as they can. But if they go to twist, or something wrong, which is going to weigh on equities, which is why the last time they did it almost 10 years ago, equities didn't do well during that rumor period. Bonds did really well, in part, not just because of the rumor, because of what was actually going on in the market. So I think that's kind of the first stage of the twist is that equities trade weak because of a concern of higher interest rates dragging on the economy, mm -hmm. slowing, slowing uh, inflation bonds trade better. And then over time, people realize, okay, the Fed's involved. We want to be involved when the Fed's involved. Let's buy stocks because regardless of whether the Fed has any real effect on asset prices, people think they do, right? And that's what matters. So and you know what else happened though, during that kind of period of time, the dollar went higher until the Fed raised in 2015. Right. It went right. much higher. Right. So if I'm the Fed, I what I don't understand is they can do this already, right? Every month they're buying 80 billion U.S. Treasuries. They can say, okay, hey, instead of buying 20 billion 10-year notes this month, we're going to buy 30 billion and we're going to buy less two-year notes or three-year notes or whatever it is. So the Fed should be more active. If that's what they want to do, manage the curve, the Fed should just be more active naturally doing that. And they're not. And I think they feel a need to telegraph everything to try to accomplish what they want to accomplish without actually doing it. Right? Well, and the then, market's pricing a lot of this stuff in for them. Yes, that's part of their goal too. They get the market to price it in. So in regards to the dollar, go, going back to your article, and I posted that in chat, what's your, what's your thesis again? Kind of like run through the, the high points of it. So that article was more, uh, the thesis is that the Fed is hurting the value of the dollar, right? That article I wrote because I am very upset and I've written a couple editorials to the New York Times to the Washington Post and they don't, they won't publish it. The purpose of that article is to get it off my chest that there is a cost to everything going on and that cost is dear to society. So from a trading perspective, I think this the Fed controls to some degree kind of the mood of the markets. Will the Fed be involved? Will they? We know as soon as the Fed starts kind of going, starting to talk about QT or higher rates, equity markets in trouble. Right. Well, the, you know, certain certain. Well, yes. I mean, the debt is is widespread. Household, corporate, government, um, emerging markets would be hit. I mean, strong, tremendously. And the, I think that's actually the panic that would hit the currency markets that would then spill over into the U.S. equities. But that's, would they do that? I mean, how can they prevent from that from happening? That was absolutely the, 
the tell back in October of 2018 yields were getting way too high and emerging market was just about ready to fall out of bed and they did first then we rolled over so so how does the Fed get out of this Samantha what how is the Fed ever gonna say that we're gonna raise rates or we're gonna stop QE um path of least, you know, um, resistance. They keep talking up inflation. <laughs> so let me ask another question. <laughs> if inflation runs hot, which I think we both agree it will for the next three to nine months. Yep. But what if it keeps running hot? And by hot, I'm talking about three to 5%. Oh, then and we're going to have oil spike higher on expectation of speculation alone. And that's going to break stuff. I mean, there right. are all kinds of unintended consequences from But this. how does the Fed combat higher inflation, especially inflation that's not transitory at that point? QT, higher rates? Gosh. There's your problem. That's, that's the Fed's trap. It's, it, that's, yes, Fed is trapped. <laughs> the Fed, what the Fed wants, it really doesn't want because they it buy can't equities. handle it. They buy equities like they did in March. And then we have this parabolic rise from Fed intervention, which is abnormal and actually quite dangerous. Right. Now, I mean, I think the buying equities is their next big move in a crisis. When? Not like when would when the market starts to really um, feel this? I think the, the currency, it would be the tell emerging markets, you know, and the, the stronger dollar. Um, with a firm or rising uh, yield curve. Uh, to me, this is, this is definitely where we'll get a, a, a bit of a sense of it. Now, the China plays this week, actually for the past few weeks, have been falling um, decisively, but there's also talk of, you know, uh, SEC involvement kicking them out, you know, if they don't have three years of financials. So there's, there's some other kind of movers in that regard. But um, I still think it's currency. I still, I, you know, the dollar view that you have written about is the, the human, not just market impact. Right. Um, timing it, though, from a tradable standpoint, it's a little bit tougher, right? So, and I know you trade actively and you're watching, you know, shorter time frames. So this is your right. macro backdrop. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think the dollar's a buy here. I, I think that's the pressure valve. Okay. I think when we talk about all these different things going on in markets, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Something's going to pop its head up that, that we're not expecting. And I think it's a dollar. And I think it's a dollar that's uncontrollable. Well, we have to get over some key resistance levels first. And I just actually posted this for clients. So let me just share it. Hold on. And really, the dollar's gone nowhere. I mean, it's it's forming a nice bottom, but it's got such a long ways to go to even start a bullish trend all right so i just literally posted this for clients so, so let me just show you so this is obviously the dollar and it's end of day so it's not today i have not updated this this is from yesterday okay but here we are 92.53 you can see this nice trend line and by the way this totally supports oh i hold on i should share it right there we go all right so here's the chart can you see it mike can you hear me Okay, hold on. Somehow you got muted. Somehow you got muted. I don't know if you can hear me, but I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no worries. I wanted to make sure. I um, no, I saw your screen. I thought it was my Twitter screen. That's why I got <laughs> a little confused. All right. So here's what I'm sharing. I'm sharing this chart that I just posted for clients. It's obviously from yesterday, but my point is that this has not only done a really nice job of basing, and here we are at this 92.53. We actually are above that today because um, this is from Tuesday. Uh, no, wait a minute, Wednesday. Uh, gold, this is gold inverse because I still see lower levels for gold. I know if you follow me, you know I've been short gold and bonds since August. So this to me is still That's a great trade. boring as could be because gold has only really corrected in time not price i mean a little bit in price but it's not enough to make you know real coin bonds on the other hand from peak to trough have had their biggest sell-off ever so that has been very very good but this hey, is samantha samantha we can't see your chart all i see is your uh, twitter page why 
Okay, and hold on. Someone else just chatted in with the same comment. I'm an idiot. So it's not just my ineptitude. All right, sorry about that. Here you go. There. Thank you. All right, so my point was that this is now rounding, okay? This is gold inverse, just so you don't get confused. And we all we know that bonds and gold have trade, you know, tightly correlated, kind of like ARK and Tesla. The point is, this was from yesterday. Here, we're popping up a little bit above it. We really need to stay above this level in order to see higher levels. And then, give me a quick second. Oh, yeah, that's the dollar, too, but that's not the one I wanted to show, which was the um, shorts. Here we go. Hedge funds and speculators are now net long on the dollar. Same type of curvature. So this is important because everyone keeps referring to you know, the biggest all-time short in the U.S. dollar. Right now, after a few months, they've covered. we got a lot of folks that have covered, and now they are net buyers for the first time since November. And I think, the you know, when you look at bonds, too, the money flows have been very strong. In it, or out. Because, we, because right now we have pension rebalancing end of month, end of quarter, and it's the right. biggest one in a decade. So out right. of equities and into bonds, which by the way, sets us up for a heck of a rally come April if, if, you know, we stabilize here and don't completely fall apart. Um, but on the bond trade, well, I have some geeky, I have geeky charts on bonds. They're not done. So let me, let me just show you that real quick. Yeah, I'd love to hear your prognosis on bonds. Okay, so let me just hear. We are hesitantly, temporarily bullish. We've been- Oh, short term because of end of month? Absolutely. But, 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 let's see. All right, so uh, bonds are have, uh, still have room to fall after an end of month bounce with pension rebalance. So I wrote that on the 23rd. Here was the dollar that I just showed you, right? We're still, I think, moving up. That was, for, but that's not the one I wanna show you. Here we go. All right, this is geeky, but stay with me. <laughs> so th there was a reason why I was short calling gold back in August, and I can show you that chart um, separately as well. But this, as you know, I have this theme, right? Gold and, and bonds are traveling together often, and this is the, uh, the channel, if you will, of TLT, um, mm -hmm. you know, since 2007. It broke a key area. So every time this is basically risen, this is a, an indicator that I use for my intermarket analysis. It shows relationships and divergences and strength and all that stuff. Anyway, it has been a solid buy until we got here. It failed. And we're still, as far as this channel is concerned, absolutely, I feel 130, 125, maybe even an overshoot to 120, which is where right. it kind of broke out. So to me, I actually expected a little bit of a bounce here, like normal situation, and then a fade, and nope, we didn't get that. We just have had this bleeder until end of month where we have a little bit of a bounce right now going on, right? Um, but this still says to me, there is room to the downside. It's just not done. And right. one chart that I have used repeatedly for the gold and this is March 20th as well. And how I kind of, this is again, bonds and gold, they really trade together. Um, it was at an absolute extreme 100%. You just can't get above 100% in this particular chart um, feature that I use. And it is still basing. So this was just from, um, what date is this? The 19th of March. It's still basing. To me, it still has room to the downside. Bonds and gold are just not a safe bet for a sustainable, durable rally I would love to see it. I really think seasonality will come in for the golden miners for the second half of the year. But right now we're just still, it's just weak sauce. There's just nothing to give it a lift. Right. Is it fair to say you think we're in the eighth, ninth inning of the sell-offs in both bonds and uh, gold? Seventh. Right. Seventh. I still think we have to get through the next quarter. The next quarter will be that time where we see the um i think the lower levels in tlt right that 120 at the outside 125 130 is i know it's kind of fungible but that <laughs> forgive the nft reference but that is the nature of it we have to see if there's actually going to be support in that area 
And, and I think that's right. I think just from a more of a macro perspective, you need that disorderly blow off run that run up in yield, right? You need to get tens over two. You need to make headlines. You need to get mortgage rates higher. So I think it all coincides where things get what the Fed would deem disorderly. Because the more bonds sell off, the more people, I think, get traders get concerned that the Fed doesn't care. And if the Fed doesn't no, the care, Fed is just no slow. one. They, they just don't have the same urgency that we do. Or, you know, they, they have to, you know, follow their models, I guess. But they will, they will react. But I mean, this is still my baseline here for the 30 year. I just want to show that as well. Right. And this is from your chart. This is basically the inverse of yeah, your yeah. treasury so, yield chart for the 30 so, year. Right. And I, I think for medium longer term investors, I think I actually think now's the time you can start buying bonds, knowing full well that you're going to get hit on your first, you know, if you buy over time, Mm -hmm. you're, you're probably not going to make money on your first lot or two for a while. But I think rates are going all the way back down to to levels that we saw last March, April, whenever that was. But that would be deflationary for assets, too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, the whole point is, are we ready for this top? That, we're in we're in distribution. There's no question. But well, how are, forward looking is the market? I guess is the question. Right. Because we know there's going to be a massive inflationary impulse for six April, months. May. Yeah. April, Whatever May. It, yeah. Maybe even extended. Right. Mm -hmm. But what's it going to look like in October, November? Mm, and, not so much. But when, right, right. But when do we start pricing in October, November? Yeah, we're not pricing right. in anymore. We were pricing in April, May back in November, December, Jan. That's when energy got on it, got its giddy up. Right. Yeah. That's when, when, when banks started doing much better too. That's when bonds started getting hit back in November. That's when we started pricing in April and May. So when do we start pricing in November, Jan November, December, January, February? Well, that's what Thomas is actually asking as well. You know, in light of inflation next three to nine months and growth, um, expecting any change in Fed action, are you? Like, based on what we're talking about, we're actually in agreement on a lot of these things. Where right. do you see the Fed making any changes whatsoever? The, the one big change that they made was January 27th when they rewrote the statement to allow inflation higher, right? And that's what really put a spark in the energy trade. I mean, it had already been very strong from November into end of January, but then it just shot higher, right? Extremely bullish um, for end of January into just the most recent pullback. But Thomas's question, are you expecting any changes um, you can see his, his question in chat, especially from the Fed, the next few meetings. I can't see it, but I'll take your word on it. Oh, really? Uh, okay. That's all right. Do I expect the Fed to change? I think the only change we potentially could see is an operation twist. They're not going to touch the amount of QE they're doing. They're not even going to say that they're thinking about raising rates. I think you may hear some of the ancillary members of the Fed saying various stuff. But I don't think that Powell, Vice Chair Clarita, Lael Brennard, who's become kind of one of the leaders. Yep. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of them are going to tell you anything that's any. I think if you read that statement from when was that last Wednesday, mm -hmm. which was identical to the statement from six weeks prior, that will look other than a few verbs and adjectives. It's going to look the same three months from now and, you know, potentially four or five months from now. I don't think. They, they do not feel this economy is on firm enough ground that they want to screw it up by saying that they're they're starting a reverse course. Because I think when they look back at 20, 2008 and all that, they felt that they didn't do enough and that they didn't keep their foot on the pedal long enough, that they kept going, you know, they did QE1, they took their foot off the pedal, then QE2, QE3, they did Operation Twist, and then they really screwed up by hitting the brakes with QT. And I think they've learn these lessons in their mind that the, the that everything depends on the Fed. And unfortunately, now markets do depend on the Fed because they, unfortunately, we listen to them way too much. And that's- No, it's it's an infusion of, it, it's a drug infusion. I mean, they create the liquidity that keeps the asset inflation, you know, up, period. Right. <laughs> that's right. like, that's, right. That is it. Right. But um, in regards to the twist talk, 
what would that look like for the front of the curve? Because right now it's flat as a pancake. Sometimes mm -hmm. it dips negative, which is hurting funding markets, right? Mm -hmm. And now the SLR relief has been, you know, removed. Um, re and that's very technical and mechanical and all that. But the point is, it, it hurts funding markets. <laughs> so what do you think that, that looks like? I mean, what would you expect for a twist so mechanically? I so it should hurt, you know, it should be, it should hurt like two year sector, maybe three year, certainly some of the bill sectors. The problem is the Fed is telling us that they're not doing anything. So those sectors can only go so far. They're, they're only going to go up so much in yield because the Fed's promising to keep rates at zero forever. So I, I don't think there's that much. The other thing is the treasury has or had a month or two ago, it's $1.6 trillion balance that they hold at the Federal Reserve. They have to get that down to a few hundred billion by, uh, I forgot when, sometime in the fall. So what that means is that Treasury issuance is going to oh. be a lot less. So I have to I have to make a plug here real quick. Um, I'm having Barton on next, uh, no, not next Thursday, the Thursday after, so April 8th. And for anyone who is um, not familiar, he is specializing in that whole TGA world. Let me just really quickly, because you got to come back in two weeks to hear him talk about this. And I know you'll want to, Michael. <laughs> but um, he is very much focused on the uh, the Treasury um, for you know stimulus and all that stuff that has to do with stuff that to me is very, very, very mechanical in regards to the uh, the TGA, but he'll be coming in in two weeks. So continue, I just wanted to make yeah. that pitch because I right. and it is very today. technical, <laughs> but at the end of the day, think about it like this, the treasury has 1.6 trillion sitting there that they have to spend. Now they're really not gonna spend it. What they're gonna do is not borrow money. And a lot of where the treasury borrows money is in the treasury bill sectors and the short sectors, because that's where there's the most liquidity. So net net, what's going to happen is they're going to be issuing less treasury bills, less less very short term paper. There's already a ton of cash that needs to be invested in very short term paper, which is pushing. That's why we've seen treasury bill rates at times go negative over the last few weeks. So you got this pressure and the Fed doesn't want negative rates either. They want to keep rates near their target, which is zero to 25, but they've been running Fed funds around eight to 12, eight to 12 basis points. So, you know, if rates start going negative, so what's interesting is we may get operation twist, not because they care too much about the long end of the curve. If the short end of the curve starts getting too cheap, if it too, uh, when you go negative, I don't even know if it's rich or cheap, whatever it is. No, but negative is, is negative equities. Every time I see it, you know, approaching zero or going, you know, negative, I, I absolutely see a sell off in equities. Right, right, so, it, right. It's not a good thing because, but there are other ways the Fed can take care of it too. They can do reverse repurchase, which I don't want to bore you with that, but it can have a very similar effect. There are, there are things they can do, but you know, this idea of Operation Twist may, be, may help them in two ways. It may lift yields up in the short end because they'd have to sell short paper to buy long paper. The other benefit is they don't have to do more QE, right? So the Fed's in a little bit of another trap here too, right? Everyone associates what the Fed's doing now with QE, with uh, inflation, right? The more fiscal spending, the more the Fed has to be involved, the more inflation there's going to be. That's kind of this this loop that's going on, right? So what if the Fed came out and said, we're gonna do more QE? I think implied inflation, break-even inflation would start rising further, which would push yields up more. Yes, and commodities and oil, oh my. Right, right. And, and we don't wanna see, high. we don't wanna see a spike in oil. Things break then. Right. I mean, 60, it'll, uh, you know, it, it, it's okay. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, you notice it at the pump. I've noticed it at the pump already. It's not so cheap to fill up the car anymore. No, but it's gonna rise. I mean, it's already, yeah. the price of gasoline is also running hotter than oil. So that's also another, you know, inflation pump into the summer, um, forgive the pun. So that's, you know, that, that's why I really also feel yields are going to stay firm to higher. They're not ready to go down unless we get some deflationary impulse here and now. I get your thesis later, 
right? But for right. this, th what's going to be the trigger to kind of push the market over? We, we always have the valuation fears, and now three Fed heads came out yesterday and said, yeah, guess what? We're really high. <laughs> right. They're letting the, the yields, you know, run hotter so that and inflation expectations run hotter to take some of the steam out of the tech froth. Right. Um, nothing's broken yet. Nothing's really Agreed. fallen apart. Right, right. And this rebalancing for the pension funds, you know, is also perfectly timed to take some froth out of the market, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and put a bid in treasuries. I don't know. And the dollar is de facto tightening. It just seems like it's going to plan for them. <laughs> it is. But it's not a plan that can work forever. No, that's this is the true. Problem. So that's my. So uh, Tom's is also asking that. So if, if they're already kind of expect, we've already priced in the vaccine rainbow, right? From the Pfizer vaccine announcement, which was November 9th, right after the election. So we've already run up strongly November, December, January, February, March, five, uh, not all of March, right. um, but a strong four months, right? Everything was just hot fire flames. Now we've calmed down quite a bit. ARC and Tesla and the, and the rest are still suffering. They have, and SPACs, oh my, and the China right. issues, oh my. Okay, so we have lots of short opportunities, which is lovely. I love a two-way market. Right. <laughs> so let's say we get some bullish impulse in April, okay? And the inflation expectations come back online. My fear is that oil gets too high, too hot. Mm-hmm. And that would be a cause of kind of like a blow off top and down. Um, but so far, NASDAQ, oil, nothing's really taking off. It's it's definitely getting whacked. And uh, what I else think, are you looking at for asset I, classes? I think your fear with oil is my fear of rates, that they can um, only go up so much before they break something. Okay. And that's, that's why I, you know, I, I think you can do all your technical charting you want. As soon as they break something, rates aren't going up higher anymore, right? That's the problem. That's true. So just like oil, you can say oil is going to go to 120. It ain't going to get there because it's going to break things before it gets there. It usually it usually doesn't break things until it starts oil. to fall after hitting. Right. Oil's a little different than rates. That's true. And it's about two weeks. I mean, that's what, you know, I kind of, it's, it's a swag of about two weeks. Right. But, um, okay, so you're concerned about a yield spike? I, I think, yeah, but I do think, I agree that, look, the trend in stocks is up, and I don't see any reason technically or even fundamentally to think that's going to change over the next few months. I mm -hmm. think we're going to have some hiccups. Look, I'm, I also think stocks are grossly overvalued. So this is coming from someone that thinks stocks are about as expensive as they can be. But I think you have to ride this trend for the time being. And, and if you're like me and you have concerns, you have tight stops and you, you manage your risk well. But th this growth, reflation, inflation, Fed's clapping and cheering it on is going to be the theme until it's not. And when we start thinking about what's at the other end of the rainbow, because it's not a pot of gold, that's when, you know, that's, I think, when the proverbial hits the fan, so to speak. But that's not that's not today. That's not, um, you know, next week or even a month or two from now. But I think that is something that we should think about, you know, as we get later into this year. And this is why I bring up this chart. I think it's a good kind of place to uh, to end as well, because this is break even inflation rate, whether it's the five year or 10 year, they look the same, right? They are tracking with the S&P. So again, I still contend value is going to outperform growth um, plays. In other words, the momentum trade has definitely gotten the wind knocked out of it. And I think the anti-momentum stuff, commodities and cyclicals and all that, oh my, um, is definitely going to outperform. But this is where I watch ex inflation expectations because that's where the yields, the deflation themes start to come in, right? right. Yields uh, falter and the, the, the market starts to falter. So to me, it still is a game of timing inflation expectations. And right I, I now- couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think you're right. And Lance and I always joke around, is it a Dow day or is it a NASDAQ day? Oh, 100%. The best pair trade ever has been long yeah, long the diamonds and, and short the NASDAQ. Um, or vice then, versa, depending on the day. It's like no, a game of roulette. <laughs> but even on down days, and I track this with precision, momentum still falls at 
a lot more, 100, 200% more than value. So value is right. still outperforming momentum. And the spikes right. in momentum selling have been a la 2000. Like the volatility of the momentum moves have been like year 2000. That's so right. it's safer to be in value. Even if we have deflation, you know, coming up, um, we'll be watching inflation expectations and then we'll know how to protect. But for right now, I still think that's a safer bet. Value. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue until we start seeing those implied inflation numbers. The other thing would be is if you look at Fed funds futures and if they start rapidly pricing in a Fed tightening oh, good much point. sooner. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. Mm. All right. Well, we covered a lot of good points and, we, and I thank you so much for coming in. This was, like I said, uh, we had a conversation on Twitter. I asked if you would, you know, we could have a live chat. Mm. And we both got it done. So I thank you very much, Michael. And thank you for having me. And uh, it's Miller time. Yeah, <laughs> almost. <laughs> I got to go talk to the furnace guys. And I'm going to post this on my YouTube channel. So that's the housekeeping. Um, and then I just wish you a, a happy spring. Thank you, you too. It's finally warming up. It's nice out. Still waiting for the snow banks to completely melt. Have a great evening, okay, everyone. You thank too. you so much. Bye. Bye.